right. Welcome, everyone. He couldn't believe it. His whole life had come down to this. Everything that he had strived for, everything that he tried to make right. And here he was, staring out the sky. Beautiful day. There are bars in the way. He was a prisoner. Binabin had been a zealot, had been uh, a real true believer. His country, one true God, keep it pure. Noble ideals, and, and as a child, he'd seen his father, who was the religious leader of their village, um, everybody looking to him for answers. And, and his father had always in, encouraged moderation. We can work with the foreigners. They, we don't want to upset them. They, have, they don't understand our culture. They'll be gone soon enough. But, but his son had seen too many broken promises. He'd seen too many family members taken away at night. And, and he grew bitter and he grew angry. And as he grew older and he saw the tired promises of his parents not really matching his world, he saw a tired religion no longer able to embody the fire that he felt. Uh, he took matters into his own hands. And so with a group of, of like-minded individuals, they, they began a, a terror campaign. They, they began harming people in marketplaces. They, uh, they began insurrections. Um, every time there was violence, every time he was arrested to be tortured and released again, uh, his hatred grew. Uh, finally, there was that day that, that he's, he knew it was going to be wrong, but he had already made his decisions. And they'd gone to the square early that morning. Um, the military was in force. Uh, his mouth was dry. He, he wasn't sure how this was going to go down. But one of the, uh, one of the uh, military commanders recognized him immediately and started shouting. Um, it was just chaos. And so friends uh, drew their weapons, and, and it was a bloodbath. Uh, he, he remembers getting hit on the head. He remembers everything going black. He remembers waking up uh, shackled uh, in prison. It was a very, very quick trial. Uh, he was guilty. He had killed. He committed murder. He knew that no matter how high his ideals or, or how great his intentions had been, he was guilty. He was sentenced to death. He was on death row. And today was the day. How did he get here? Life had seemed so clear, so easy. Life had seemed so straightforward. This is what you do. This is what's right. This is what you give your life for. But even though he had been made cynical, even though he sometimes questioned even his own motives, he was driven. He was compelled. There was one answer forward. And now, because of his decisions, his life was completely out of his hands. He was waiting for the end. They, they had, uh, there was a lot of clamor outside. Um, you know, there was always the 11th hour uh, clemency process. And there was a lot of peace activists outside wanting his release. Uh, there was a lot of um, his fellow terrorists also wanting his release. It was a very tense situation. The entire city was in military lockdown. There was screaming. There was confusion. He began to cry. He knew his life was over. They got, you could hear the guards coming down the hall. They got him. Said it's time. They took him. Strong men on either side of him. There's no use struggling to get away. He was led down stairs. He'd been up and down a few times. Every time his heart beating in terror. Not knowing what to expect. Now it was the worst. He went down another hallway. There were more uh, soldiers marching by. Um, everything began to get dizzy. 
They went through a final door and the bright light burned his eyes. Something was wrong. He felt, he felt breeze. The guards released his manacles and he said, you're free. Closed the door and he was alone on the street. In the distance, he could hear uh, the, the screams that, that were, he was convinced were, were crying out for his blood. Uh, they're quieter now and they, they were further away. The city seemed strangely deserted. What had happened? He had been a terrorist. He was one of the, on the, uh, the government's uh, jack card, I think, uh, to get. It was all over. And he knew, despite his protestations of innocence, he was guilty and he really deserved death. But here he was standing on the street, a free man. How could this have possibly happened? Bewildered, he followed the noise of the crowd. And he saw that they were screaming. And just outside the, the city... On a rise, he saw three crosses being erected. And he asked, what, 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 what is going on? And he said, well, these, these three criminals are being executed for their crimes. And immediately, Binabin, or as the Hebrews know, Barabbas, recognized his two friends who were being executed. But he did not recognize the person who was being raised between them. He asked, who, who is that man? What has he done? And they said, this is, this is a man... Uh, Known as Jesus. Some people say he's a prophet. Some people say he's a good man. Some people say uh, that he's a messenger from God. And we all believed in him. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the one who was going to deliver us. And, and, And Barabbas remembers thinking the same thing. Another vision. Another fire. Another disappointment. And so he was asking what this man has done. He said absolutely nothing. But as you, uh, as you may have heard the, the screaming, what was going on was the governor was, was in a tight spot. And, and he, he painted himself into a corner and he needed a quick, quick way around it. Going to be looking at a prisoner exchange today. And we're going to see three stories all overlaid, all happening at the same time. And we're going to see where our stories fit into this very unlikely tale. Each of us has our own life that we've been given, that we have lived. Some decisions have been made for us. We deal with the consequences of others' decisions. Some consequences, they're our own fault we have to live with. But irrespective of that, none of us is the person that we want to be, and none of us is living the life that we expected we would. But the question that we need to ask ourselves as we're sort of at another milestone, it's another tradition, it's the, uh, you know, the, the family wash, rinse, repeat, is this question. We need to decide if our present lives are the ones we actually want. Because if nothing changes, nothing is going to change. Your lives pretty much are the way they are, pretty much the way they're going to be. There's uncertainty, there's unknowns, there's There's crises and tragedies. But pretty much who we are, who we're becoming, our values, what we're living for, our expectations, no real big surprises. The question we have to ask ourselves, are our present lives the ones we actually want? Um, Could I I impinge upon someone to get some water? uh, Anyone, any kind soul want to bail me out here? Thanks. All right. It's the... uh, Always the salaried ones jump up first. It's, um, thanks. This is how it went down in the pages of Scripture. 
Now, it was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. Okay, we've been following along in the story of Mark, and to catch you up, if you're just joining us, the biggest festival of the year in Jerusalem, back in Bible days, was Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people showed up for this big celebration. It was a monster security risk. Thank you very much for uh, the Roman Department of Homeland Security. Their green zone was a red zone because it was just violence every, every single day. And so the army was just twitchy. They, they were looking for any signs of violence. And uh, the governor was in, dif- was in difficulty. Okay, we'll get there. A man called Barabbas, it means son, his, his name literally means son of the fathers. The only person that gets a name like this is a rabbi's son. This is a typical rabbi's son name. Because uh, if you're a rabbi, your son's going to be a rabbi. And, and that's the greatest hope, and that's all the pressure. And so you're named, he was the firstborn, with anticipation that you're going to follow the family's business. The expectations of your family have defined you before you were born. And so him being this, uh, this pastor's kid, if you will, having an identity just pressed upon him, he saw that it didn't mesh up with the world that he lived. What he was told... What he felt, what he saw, three very, very different things. And it was that incongruency, it was that hypocrisy, it was that inconsistency that drove him to more extreme measures. A man called Barabbas was in prison with an insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. We don't know which uprising this is. There were so many weekly uprisings where people were killed. Uh, Crucifixions were a weekly business. The crowd came up and asked Pilate, who was the governor of the region, to do for them what he usually did. Because it's a festival and he wanted to secure the goodwill of the people, one prisoner gets released. There just happened to be two prisoners in the Antonina Fortress that day. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Okay, now the chief priests were the religious leaders of the Jews who were the oppressed, occupied people under the boot of the Roman rule. Now the chief priests had every reason to hate the Romans. They hated the Romans because they occupied their country. They hated the Romans because they took the glory that was rightfully theirs and Yahweh's away. They hated the Romans because they, they, they just didn't understand their culture. They were so crass. They worshipped the wrong gods. The list goes on and on and on. But one thing was clear, the Romans knew the Jews hated him, and the Jews knew the Romans hated him, and that was the jumping off point. So all of a sudden, the, the Jews are being, the, the leaders of the Jewish nation are being very, very obsequious, very, very kind of smacky to, to Pilate. Oh, Pilate, you're looking fabulous today. Did you get a new haircut? Nice, nice olive oil. That purple makes your eyes pop stellar. Um, we just got one request here. You know, there's two guys, the king of the Jews, this guy, and then there's this horrible murderer who's just scum of the earth. We're going to go with a scum. That's, we're, we would really like you to release him. And they're like, well, he's, what's going on here? Um, and, and obviously, it's pretty self-serving. Who are we going to release into the hands of the Jewish people who hate the Romans? The guy that pre- preaches peace or the guy that kills Romans? Hmm, that's a tough one. Man, what, what were they going to decide? The guy that told them to be nice to the people they hated or the guy that was doing what they really wanted to do? And so it wasn't difficult for the priest to get the crowd to us to stir them up. They had Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. 
Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged. That's 39 lashes with a whip with bone and and glass. uh, Ripping the skin off and hand it over to be crucified. This is the story that happened. And on one level, we see basic human self-interest playing itself out. This is any soap opera that we may have seen, any, any novel that we may have gotten into, any series that we follow every week on TV. It's drama. It's action. You have, you have Pilate. His job is to keep peace. And, and his bosses are breathing down his neck. He's about to be transferred out to the Eastern Front. Nobody wants to go there. So he's got to have a good peace record. He's got the city locked down. You've got so many more people. Uh, all these biker gangs came into town. It's just going to be trouble with this festival. And so everybody's on edge. And to make it even more difficult, there's Messiah fever. Everybody was tired of the way it was. Everybody was looking for a hope. The one in whom they could trust, who would no longer disappoint. Perhaps it was this man. This man who healed. This man who spoke with authority that none of the other religious people had. This man who the people who were most out of place in church immediately felt comfortable with. This man who the leaders of the church who had their whole position based on being in in church felt the least comfortable with him. He turned every expectation on its head. He rolled back the effects of darkness in our lives, be it in bodies, be it in relationships, be it it emotionally, spiritually. People had great expectations. And then he's arrested. Then he's tried. It's a complete travesty of justice. He's betrayed by the ones he came to save, and he's let out to be executed in the worst, most humiliating execution possible. There is no way this man could be from God. He's condemned as a criminal. God said clearly to his people, anyone who is murdered on a tree will be cursed forever. And so there's their leader, the one in whom they put their hope, stripped naked, ripped ripped raw, skin off his bones, laying there dying. What was going on? We can understand how he got there. It was the self-interest of the governor, self-interest of the religious leaders. It was the hatred of men. It was people not wanting to change. It was erring on the side of caution. It was political intrigue. And this is a story all too common. But what we also see in here is each of our stories in the lives of Barabbas. We are born into this world. Mark Twain said one of the greatest tragedies of life is we get to pick our friends but not our family. I don't know, probably says more about his family than his friends, but be that as it may. Your life is pretty much, a lot of it is determined for you by the choices other people have made. Your parents for good, for bad. Um, society for good, for bad. Those closest to you down the road for good, for bad. And, and we become partly what other people's expectations are, partly who we are in and of themselves, and partly who we choose to become in reaction to that. But none of us does this well. None of us does this well. We've all been hurt. We've all been disappointed. We've all been angered. Hurting people hurt people. It's what we do. And this is how we're made as people. God tells us that he knows what we are. He says, I know your frame, you're but dust. You're frail. You're fragile. You're beautiful. You're precious. But, but I know what this is. I don't expect anything more. The problem comes when we expect so much more and we fail over and over and over and over again. And this is Barabbas. The more he tried to change his world, the more he tried to change his heart, the more kiln, the more hardened, the more ingrained he became. The more he tried to become free, the more he became a prisoner. He was drinking poison waiting for the other person to die. 
And that was his life. And that's all of our lives. Our prisons may not be in the Antonina Fortress in Jerusalem under the Romans. But we have prisons of unforgiveness, of brokenness, of hurt, uh, of embarrassment. We have prisons of, 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 of racism and intolerance, uh, of sexism, bigotry. We, we have prisons of, of, of lust, uh, enslaved to pornography, enslaved to objectifying people. We, we have uh, prisons to manipulate people, putting them in categories so they can serve us. Wherever we go in our management of others, wherever we go with our management of our heart, it is a good heart wounded, twisted, and separated. You see, because not just do we see a human drama playing out, not just do we see our own stories that we can relate to, at least in part, thinking it was one way, finding the world very different, finding ourselves very different, and then realizing, I did this. I deserve this. Yes, my parents did this. Yes, this happened to me when I was little. Yes, this. You don't understand how how important this was. Yes, yes, yes. But at the end of the day, we know we are who we are. Because we've responded and chosen to be the way we are. It's us. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a good thing. God loves us. He rejoices over us. But when we look at the final story, we see how difficult this is. Because we also see God's story in this. That this wasn't an impassive God just channel surfing. Hey, what's going on with my people? Oh, they're kind of messed up. I'll just send some help. They take it, great. If not, and he's off to running the universe. Not at all. He came toward us on a rescue mission. Now, has anyone, um, anyone familiar with rescue missions? Because like me, you know, I go on them every week and it's just something we all know. Um, I change in a phone booth to get ready for work, but that's another story. Um, rescue missions are, you don't just, hey, somebody's, you know, in danger and you go running. That's what I do. You go run, running, running um, off after them and you get in big trouble. You got a plan. You got to prepare. Where are they? What does it mean to come to them? What is it going to take to get there? How are, how are we going to connect? How am I going to bring them out? And that's what God was doing in Christ. You see, because it wasn't just a matter of God showing us more what he was like. Okay, we'd mess that up all along. Big, scary voice in the sky and people like, ah, and they hide behind religion and all sorts of things. When God's just saying, I, I want a relationship. And so he revealed himself finally in, in a person just like us. And what God was telling us is, I've come near. I get it. And I am playing by the exact same rules that I've asked you to. I am nearer to you than you could ever, ever imagine. Because it wasn't God just getting our attention. It wasn't God just giving information. God could have skywritten something. It probably would have been really cool. That wasn't the point. It wasn't conveying information and convincing us. It was meeting us as a real person in ways that we can really understand. We all speak different languages of love, of acceptance, of connection. And this is what God was doing. The journey of each of our lives to each of our prisons... Okay, George Bernard Shaw, funny English playwright, said, Each of us is given the great dignity as humans is that we get to individually and uniquely carve our own path to hell. Some have curly cues, some do the corkscrew, some are just straight down, five-lane highway. But, but however different it is, our stories all wind up in prison and we're helpless. And in order for God to reach us, it had to be just like us. What enslaved me? Was fear. What enslaved me was rejection. What enslaved me was pain, was hurt, was loneliness, was isolation. 
And so how was God best prepared to understand us and come toward us? He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was isolated. He was hurt. He was wounded. None of this was necessary for our salvation. None of it. And we cut to the chase right here. God created all of us to know him. How we're made is to connect, is to relate. When we're apart, when we're separated, when we're rejected, that hurts us. That does violence to us. All of us have lived our own lives. All of us have gone away from our creator. And the consequences of that are the separation. The very place that God was supposed to relationally fill us and give us life and, and, and purpose and passion, it's been replaced by so many counterfeits and so many substitutes and so many things that have just choked out our hearts and our relationships in our lives. But more than that, we were made to be fully alive in God and we've lost the source of our life and going away from him. The clock is running. We are dying. And even more than that, in our pain with the justice we cry out for, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, walking or, or on the road or, or the big thing we can't forgive, whatever it is that we're hurt and we cry out for justice, all of that is due us as well. And so we are lost. We are isolated. It seems like God's not there, that he doesn't care. What's wrong with this messed up world? And the harder we try to fix things, we still wind up at the same place again and again. See, in order for God to come after us, it was to remove everything that separated from him. He's a holy God. Anything we did, that's a separation. An eternal God means an eternal gulf, distance. We'll never cross that whatsoever. The story of Easter is simply this, God coming to make a way. What I did to hurt you, what I did to hurt others, what I did to hurt God or myself, that separated me from God. I'm gone. It's over. It's busted. Nothing I can do. He came to remove that. So every bit of wrongdoing that I deserve to pay, he took that upon himself. He lived a perfect life, deserved nothing. He gave that to me. That is the prisoner exchange. Said, I, I said our stories were in Barabbas. That's exactly what happened. We found ourselves enslaved, helpless, afraid, alone, and deserving judgment. And that's it. That's fair. That's right. That's the way life works out. Done. And God meets us by taking the punishment in our place that we could never pay, the punishment that he never deserved. And he gives us this relationship with God, not guilty, beloved, precious, connected, made alive. That is the greatest prisoner exchange that's there. But the way that he communicates that is how he came toward us. What is the penalty for us being away from our creator? What do we deserve? If you've hung around church at all, you'll hear the word death. The wages of sin are death. Um, this is a cooler way of saying it these days. But basically is you get what you deserve. And uh, all of us have done wrong. All of us deserve that. I deserve eternity in hell for my rebellion against a holy God. Eternity in hell. That's fair. That's what I deserve. He's infinite. That's what Christ paid for me. As perfect God, he could take that degree of suffering so that I didn't have to. That's a ridiculous amount of love. How much would somebody be willing to do for you? He suffered an eternity of torment, the justice that I deserved in a moment because he's infinite God. That's what he suffered for me and for you and for everyone who calls upon his name. But how he was able to show us, not just that he saved us by power or that he's God and he can do anything. But it was a love mission. It was a passionate pursuit of us as he came to rescue us exactly where we are.
For those in prisons of loneliness, he knows loneliness. He knows betrayal. He knows what it is to be completely misunderstood and isolated so he can come to you. For those who have been so hurt, either in their body or in their, in their minds or, or in their spirits, God himself knows exactly what it is to be helpless, to be broken, to be in intense pain that is not going to change and not going to go away. He knows. He can come to right to where you are. Every way in which we have been wronged, he has been wronged. Every way in which we suffer, he has suffered. But he embraced that suffering so that he would be able to get to where every single lost person was. Everything that has broken us from God, everything that has broken us down, he has taken upon himself and embraced, not to save us. That was the cross work he did in paying for the penalty of our sins. But he embraced the path of suffering, loneliness, isolation, betrayal, because that's where we live. And if he's going to come to us to save us, that's what's required. And so we see his story bound up in this all too typical human drama. And it's God coming near in our pain. We cannot go too far away from God while we still have breath in our lungs. We cannot sin too greatly that we cannot be forgiven. And one of the great freedoms that we have in knowing God is simply this. We're not going to mess it up. How many people have messed up something in their life? How many people have messed up their lives? How many people wish they could do it differently somehow? Okay, we, we don't have to worry about any of this with God. He knows our frame. He knows we're frail. He knows we're weak. He knows we're enslaved. He comes after us. He makes the way. He does all the heavy lifting. So that we can simply come to him. We can let go of the pain, the hurt, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the brokenness. We can allow him to fill us with a love that we've craved and not received. Every time we've reached out and opened us to trust, we've been hurt, we've been broken, we've been violated, we close up. But God still follows us. He's been there where we've been hurt, where we've been rejected. There is no one that knows us more. Knows the secret person we really are. And there's no one that delights in you right now more than God. He has done everything that there would be nothing whatsoever separating from him, from his love. That is the love of the Father. That's what we celebrate in Easter. Yeah, fluffy bunnies are nice. Um, they're delicious with cayenne pepper. Um, you know... Uh, Easter eggs and lilies and traditions and getting families together. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. Whatever. But we, we know what Easter's about, right? It's that, that one great guilt box, you know, after Christmas to, you know, whoo, dodge that bullet for the year. <laughs> All right. Or it's, you, can, you can pay it forward. You know, hey, I was really good, but I went to Easter, so now <laughs> can it really mess up before Christmas. We, we have traditions. We have things that are wired into our life and our expectations. But please don't let this year... If you don't know the love of God, be one more year of familiarity, one more milestone looking back and what's different and regrets and hopes and, and, and it's just life continues. If nothing changes, nothing changes. God accepts us right where we are and we can take great confidence in that is because wherever we are, he has taken that upon himself so that he can get to us. That we can know he gets us, he understands us, he is right with us, and he has fought his way right to where we are, that he will lead us out. That's what come follow me means. So what we celebrate this Easter is not just a historical event, it's not just some cool Bible stories, and there's there's some awesome Bible stories. 
but it is a person who loves you. It is our creator who has defeated death, who has defeated sin, who has defeated brokenness, who has released the door to all of our prisons. The question here is, is the familiarity of the prisons of our life that we can control, that are reasonably predictable, that have some level of predictable security, is it worth it to remain in the prison? Because we do not have to. The door has been thrown wide open and God himself beckons us to come out. If there is anyone here who is sick of holding on to their pain, sick of trying to measure up only to fail again, sick of trying to live their life in the expectations of somebody else, if there's anyone here who is just tired of being disappointed and beaten down, who is just bound up in anger and hurt, if there's any part of your life that is enslaved, Christ came to set us free, to destroy the works of the devil, to bring us life and life in its fullness. None of us knows what that truly is yet, but he invites us to test him. He invites us to trust him. Going to ask us all to bow our uh, bow our heads, close our eyes. Not really going to do the bait and switch because if we were, we would have put in turnstiles in the back, and you'd have to pay to get out. Maybe next year, but but I, I want to be sensitive. This isn't the bait and switch of hey, come with a family member to Easter, and and we're going to hold you under the water till you're baptized. Maybe we'll do that next year too. But this is an opportunity that I want to give everyone here, and it is serious and it is real. There is a God who made you, who formed you, who knows everything about you. The temperament you have, the personality you have, the stupid sense of humor or lack thereof that you have, all the abilities, the passions, God put those in you. Every desire that you have, God put those in you. Desire for everything, we just go about it the wrong way. But God has a fullness for us. If there is anyone here who knows that they know that they know, that they don't know God, that they are lost, that they are enslaved, that they are deserving of judgment and there's nothing they can do about it, know that there is a way. Know that there is forgiveness. Today, it can be different. It is a journey. It is passionate. It is real. It is raw. And I apologize to anybody here attending church or coming back to church if you've been hurt by the church. You haven't been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by individuals who are messed up. And I'm one of them. Please don't let that be an excuse for keeping God at arm's length. If, if you've been manipulated by church, please don't feel this is a manipulation. And if it is, just ignore me because that, this is not what God is about. But if you've come to the end of yourself and you don't know what to do, God wants you to take his hands. Would you pray this with me in your own words if this is a desire of your heart? And if it isn't, that's fine. And if you're still on the journey and you're still considering, that's fine too. God knows you, knows your heart. It's good. But one thing we know, today we're here. Today we have a chance. Tomorrow we don't know. Lord God, you made me. You love me. I've lived a life that I never expected to. I've done things, many of which I'm proud of, most of which I'm not. The person that I was trying to become, I'm somebody different and probably didn't want to be that person anyway. There's much that I don't know, much that I've tried to do. Lord God, so much of the world, so many people have told me who I am, and I've believed them. And I condemn myself every day with those messages. But Lord, I want to trust you. I have gone away. I have hurt you. I'm guilty. 
Please forgive me, Lord God. And I trust, Lord, that this exchange is what you did for me, for me personally. Each one of us here, each person made in his image. I, tr- I pray, God, that you would take my broken life, my sinful life, my, my uh, separate life, my isolated, lonely life. You would take it upon yourself. And that you would grant to me the life that you intended all along, one that is full of life and joy and peace. And not just this mystical belief or not something that I just have to believe regardless of everything around me, but I know, God, you're going to meet me right where I am, right where I struggle, right where I doubt, right where I live. And I want to walk with you every step of the way, Father. So we thank you that you alone have made the way. We thank you that you alone have accomplished what we never could. We thank you that we are absolutely secure in you. And I pray, Father, that we would know a love unlike anything we've known in this life. And in doing so, we'd settle for nothing less. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that, please come talk to me, talk to anyone up here, talk to somebody that you came with. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, Louie. This is the beginning of a great, there's Casablanca. This is the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful eternal relationship. The purpose of life is not to get to heaven. The purpose of life is to know life, and it begins with Christ.
saved by the power, his life in ours. We can be alive because he is alive. In this story, which is real, Jesus did not consider it beneath him to be nailed up as a criminal, as a Barabbas, as an insurrectionist, as a murderer. It wasn't beneath him to be spit upon, to be stripped, to be tormented, to be mocked, to be jeered, because that's exactly what Barabbas had coming to him. In order to set Barabbas free, that's what Jesus did. Jesus has taken all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your hurt, all of your pain, all of your brokenness. And it can be that real and that true. I'd like to invite everyone back. If you're able to make it, uh, we're going to continue with uh, actually uh, what keeps us from God and, and why that's not the case next week. Invite you to come back. I'd like to invite our prayer counselors forward. If you'd like prayer for anything, and certainly if you prayed earlier, please come down. Love to talk with you, pray with you as much as possible. If you are visiting us, remember to get your gift bag out and back. Just want to say thank you for, for dropping by. Just want to bless you. And again, there is no one in this room who has messed up more than me. There's no one who is who's more of a mess, who wrestles with, with sin, with doubt, with pain, with, with struggle, with past, with all of this. But I can say this. I'm a beggar that found a feast, and God invites us all to the table. It's, it's a flat, flat playing field for all of us. All I can do is point the way. Come and find what love is. See you next week. Go in peace and know his love. Thanks.